0: Hello and welcome to this week's look at action and stunts on film and television. How I hope you are well. If I said the name Corey Eubanks to you, what would that mean? Yes, that's quite right. It would mean all of those things, including... uh, And I, again we've had this conversation before we've had this conversation where i've said you know the word legends overused don't you um, but there just doesn't seem to be another word to ex- to 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 explain him you know um he is an incredible character there's no toys about that and has been involved with some of the most remarkable film and television projects over the last 40 plus years um, I probably first came to. Oh, well, he would have. He would have been inv- certainly involved in a television show that that I loved when I was a kid, which was the A Team. He was a massive part of that. He was a massive part of Fall Guy and Hunter and TV shows of that nature, which um, would be would be on when I was growing up as a kid, and that was the type of stuff that I, I suddenly found an interest in. And later on in life, um, he opened up to a larger audience with a thing called Stunt Stories. And Stunt Stories, very simply, was him talking to camera about his career in the business and having some anecdotes about it, which was just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating from start to finish. And on the strength of that, it went from being... um, a youtube uh, show to to now being a very successful podcast um and if you go to his imdb his international movie database page you will note that he has credits as a producer a second unit director or assistant director director actor writer additional crew as well now there's a great many things he's involved with most, uh, many people will remember his work, of course, with the Dukes of Hazard and uh, uh, Cobra and uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and some of these, you know, little pictures that, that actually got to a cult status. Big movies that include Far and Away, uh, uh, Mars Attacks, um, Mission Impossible 2. So all of these sort of bits and pieces. And um, I've been a fan of his for many years. And we've never really been able to cross paths uh, although i i did briefly have a chat with them a little while ago we were trying to create an opportunity whereby we could do an interview and anyway it finally happened there last month we got an opportunity to uh, have a chat with each other and um we found out that we had a great many things in common, and he's a very funny guy, and so we managed to uh, put a little bit of an interview together, and here are some of the highlights, the rest of which you will be able to see in Friday's show. Enjoy. You, uh, you've talked before about the, the, the way in which you got onto the show, Dukes of Hazard, for instance, your dad being the producer, and a notable entertainer and a, and, a, and a personality and in fact he was doing it this is bob eubanks for those people who don't know uh did a show called the newlywed game uh which we took over here um uh, it was a big success over here it was called mr and mrs over
1: here
0: yeah same concept uh we had a guy called derek Beatty was the was the uh, um the, the host of that show ran for years it was a massive success um but to complete the whole thing was that you were boxing uh, prior to this. Well, I know a lot of people, they will remember the fact that you're, you know, d- did all the stuff with rodeo riding and then doing the Dukes of Hazard. But in order to get into the business, I'm right in saying that, that you were, um, was it a Golden Gloves tournament that you were, you were training for in a gymnasium? Uh, how, how did that happen uh, for the, uh, from a movie that you were selected for?
1: Well, my dream was to become uh, a, a professional fighter, to be like a Roberto Duran. He was my, I idolized Roberto Duran and I would copy all of his uh, his mannerisms, his moves, the way he fought. I just studied every fight he ever had and uh, wanted to be like Roberto Duran. I was training uh, at a little gym in Canoga Park called the Left Hook Gym. And my trainer, Ray Tarro was training Sylvester Stallone for Rocky and or had already trained him for Rocky. I used to spar with Frank Stallone, oh, brother right. and, and, and also an actor named Tony Danza. And but yeah, I had, I competed in the golden gloves, the junior Olympics, uh, the diamond belt. I had 47 amateur bouts. I was 46 and one. That was my record. That's and funny. I was in the gym training when they came in scouting for a movie called The Sting Two mm. with Jackie Gleason and Carl Malden and Mac Davis. I think this was in 1980 or 81. Okay. And because when someone comes into your gym, new faces, you know, you know right away, who are these guys? And they were with cameras and stuff, and you're taking pictures of us, and you're kind of like, Why are you, you know, why are you taking a picture of me? And all of a sudden someone walked up and tapped me on my shoulder. I was on a speed bag, okay, and uh, asked me if I would be interested in being in a movie called The Sting Two, uh, just as background. Just he goes, just doing. I go, what, what would you want me to do? Just what you're doing right now. We just want to have you in the background, and Mac Davis will be talking to Jackie Gleason, and we'll see you in the background hitting the speed bag. And I said, Are you going to pay me for this? They said, Yes. I said, Okay, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, count let me in. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it was like the following week it was at universal well then i was moved off the speed bag and then put onto a heavy bag and like i said i mean i was at the prime of my fighting i was in shape i was tone and and ready for you know competing Mm -hmm. and on the set maybe i was trying to show off a little bit probably knowing me and all of a sudden, Mac Davis comes over with a gentleman named Ron Stein, who oh, was yeah. the stuff coordinator. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, hey, Corey, can we talk to you for a second? And they came, uh, stepped aside and they said, hey, we got a, a, a fight scene. We need, we need to have two guys in the ring sparring. And and would you be interested in, in doing that with this guy? And I said, yeah. And, and Ron Stein introduced himself as the stuff coordinator. And he said, we'll Taft Hartley you for this. And I'm like, what does that mean? He says, well, because you're throwing punches, it's considered a stunt. And that makes you eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild. Right. At that moment in my life, I didn't know if I wanted to be a, I mean, I was focused on being a professional fighter, but I'd always had dreamt of being a stuntman. There's two different paths. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't do both. Okay. And. Because I was brought up in, in, in with that with my father as you mentioned Bob Eubanks, you know, yep. he used to also he was a, a weekend rodeo cowboy. He would team rope and rope calves and we'd go out to this place, the Paramount Ranch. Right. And I would I would hear and meet other stuntmen out there and listen to their stories and whatnot. And and I thought, wow, how would it be to be a professional stuntman? That'd be so cool. I didn't know you could make a living doing it. Right. But when this when this movie came along and I was asked to be in the sting too. It was just kind of like, I don't know, maybe God was saying, No, you're not gonna be a professional fighter, you're gonna you're gonna be a professional stuntman and go down that path. And and so getting Taft Heartlead on that movie was a blessing because then as as you you're privy to, you know, we talked about my dad knew the executive producer of the Dukes of Hazard, a gentleman named Paul Picard. Right. And because he had hired my dad to do the newlywed game. Mm-hmm. So thank God for that because my dad made a phone call on a Friday night while watching the Dukes of Hazard. He called Paul Picard, and that's how I was able to get on that show.
0: But you, I mean, you've got to have an in, right? I mean, you said yourself, you know, good old-fashioned nepotism got me in. But, you yeah. know, that's what it was. It, if it wasn't that, you were going to have to do it in some other way, and you managed to find an in, which was, you know, the, the whole dealing with the, with the boxing yeah. um, and being able to do it. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Dukes of Hazard was just, ludicrous i mean it was unbelievably successful particularly over here i don't know whether obviously you're familiar with how successful it was in the states but in the uk just crazy i mean it was prime time saturday evening 6 p.m right about now here in the uk on a saturday night there was there would be sport during the day show called grandstand that would be the the sports show directly after that you'd have like local news and then bang. Dukes of Hazard. that would be the first thing and it was that evening when people family were sitting down to have something to eat in the evening they'd be watching the tv and Waylon Jennings theme tune that went straight into the charts and everything was you know it was just amazing it was such a such a huge success and ran ran for so long um you had some amazing experiences on there and I I wanted to I wanted to know what what uh, um working with Al Wyatt was like because obviously he must have been just an incredible character you and a number of others who were responsible for jumping the General league, but also for for driving all of those other vehicles in the show
1: I have to tell you that Alan Wyatt Jr first of all he was just gifted he was just such a phenomenal athlete Uh, his athleticism was just off the charts his sense of timing was just off the charts just always spot on right Probably the best thing ever for me was to have the opportunity to be when I was doubling Luke, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Wolpat, to ride passenger with Al Wyatt Jr. Because to be able to look over and see how he would hold the steering wheel and how he, when he would hit the emergency brake, when he would go to the throttle and just kind of get that feel it's hard it's hard to really explain you, you you just get this this feel of the momentum and, and the way that it would glide it was so fluid and i'm like okay well when i'm going to be driving and hitting the emergency brake and uh, and getting to the throttle and power sliding today they call it drifting yes yeah. um it, it was that feel and and you knew that oh that's the same feeling with this vehicle that i had in the passenger seat when when Alan was driving. Right. And his sense of timing. Um, a lot of times we're going to time things out. A couple of cars are coming down the road and they're going 45 miles an hour. There's just a, a car length and a half for you to fit right in the middle. And when he would take off and 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 how fast he would go and, and pitch it to get in between those cars was just a sense of timing that he was, I think it was just something he was born with. And I got to absorb some of that. Right. And I that's what really, really uh, helped me with my my career as far as vehicular stunts was Al White Jr.
0: He was quite a loose kind of character too, as I, as I just some of the stuff that I've, I've read about him and seen about him. I seem to remember somebody saying, it might even have been you, but I, I remember somebody saying he turned up on the set one day, had his racing outfit on, he had the helmet on, he was wearing flip-flops. You know, like it sort of, that was just a little thing that he had going on is that is there any truth in that I know he was quite a character to to, to say the least but uh I, I yeah. imagine that's possibly part of his charm was it
1: yeah he he's you know he lived in Malibu California and and uh loved the ocean you okay. know would surf he'd show up in op shorts and and flip-flops and, and blonde and, flowing locks yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and did jump the General Lee one time just wearing flip-flops, and, and that was it. And <laughs> just a, a practical joker. Um, there was one time I was going to jump over a semi-truck lengthwise. Oh, yeah, I saw the that. Wow,
0: yeah.
1: And actually ended up landing on its windshield. We were experimenting back there, taking the jump ramps and getting different angles. And okay. I was, I was the guinea pig for the, for the experiments. And this one didn't go well. And I ended up landing on my windshield. But prior to that, at number one, strapped in, nervous, sweating. You know, this is an experiment. I don't know if it's going to go good or bad. And and Alan's standing next to me, smoking a cigarette. And right when they said, roll cameras, action, Corey, he took a drag off his cigarette and dropped a cigarette right between my <laughs> my crotch. <laughs> and so... And it's, <laughs> burning my butt cheek and I'm trying to <laughs> smash it out with one butt cheek and smash it with the other as I'm approaching my ramp. So it was, it was, it wasn't funny at the time, but <laughs> tricky trying
0: to keep a cool head whilst everything else is burning below the waist. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. He did strike as being a, an extraordinary cat. a terrible loss too, you know, uh, at, at a, at, a, a relatively young age. I mean, this, um, there's, there's no other way around it. And obviously his, his, uh, um, uh, his stamp on the business is still felt today, clearly by you yes. and and by those who worked with him.
1: Yes, yes, yes. You know, and and the other thing I could say about Al Wyatt Jr. is not once, ever, under any circumstance that I ever see him get angry. Right. He would well, there's, just there's a always gift right there. He would always. Yeah, he said, "Oh, it's all good. It's all right. Nothing would upset him." Uh, I miss that man a lot. Yeah. If only there was
0: more like him, I say in that respect. Yes. um
1: there there is a there's a there's a
0: wonderful interview uh of you on um on youtube with and i want to pronounce this correctly gwat tv uh and the is a guy called ronnie and he says uh, and i quote uh, you are one of the top three stunt drivers in the world and the expression on your face is as, as though you've been hit by a steam train like it's a complete shock to you but obviously looking at the body of work and the type of movies and television and, and work that you're you're asked to do on a regular basis even now after the career that you've had you've got to be the first or second phone call these days is, is that still the same thing do people come to you and go you know Corey here's the thing you're not getting that situation where we've tried everybody else Corey and there's nobody else you know that's not that's surely not a thing anymore right
1: well I- I don't. I don't get the phone calls just to be one of the ND stunt drivers. We're going to have fifteen guys in a car chase, and you want to be number nine, which is the fun thing to do because there's not much pressure. You're not under the microscope. Yep. You know, you're just one of the ND stunt guys, and and you get to have fun. Mm-hmm. I'm normally hired to be in the lead car doing that stunt that uh, we don't know if we can execute it, it, right. it successfully. So. Corey, you figure it out. Okay, and, and it, yeah, and, and I'm I'm just being honest. I, I I normally get called for. We got one take. We got one car. It's gonna be. It's a lot of money we're spending on this on this stunt, and we're counting on you. And it's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of times I'm and I'm envious of the other stunt guys that are just the ND stunt guys that just get the feeling around, and, and it doesn't really matter if they are on their mark or if they're you know. They're inconsistent with what they do. right? And it's a little frustrating at times. I'll, I'll hear of a, a, a car show that's going and there's a bunch of guys working on it. And I'm like, how come I'm not on that just being one of the ND guys? And I don't know well, if they think because I don't want to, but no, no. yeah.
0: Um, looking through your uh, career, um, we're, we're going to touch on some, some bigger gags later on, but I know that you, you did experience but in 1985, you you worked on, on Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which you mm. said yourself, doubling Paul Reuben. And, you know, uh, 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 as far as that was concerned, at the time you go, hey, cool. It's a it's a little comedy picture. It's got this, it's got that in it. But it evidently turned out to be way bigger than anticipated, and certainly from your point of view. I mean, um, I imagine up until Fast Five, this could have been one of the most dangerous pictures you worked on.
1: Uh, Yes. (laughs) I I went, I had to go to the hospital twice dressed as Pee Wee Herman. And Uh the the first one was when I had to ride a bucking bull and there's a rodeo sequence and he's trying to go undercover and puts on a cowboy hat. And next thing you know, they put him on this bull. And I used to ride bulls professionally in the POCA, been on about 300 bucking bulls. I was never very good, but it, it was a lot of fun for me. So I knew what I was doing, and mm-hmm. I knew that the stock contractor, Tom Mitchell, had this brindle bucking bull named TJ Hooker. He was named TJ Hooker because he liked to hook people with his horns. Okay. And so, long story short, I'm doubling Paul Rubens, and, and we come out of this, this bucking and chute, and this bull starts to spin, and I start to fall off the side, and he throws a horn back and hits me in the back of the head. And I wake up on a gurney going into the ER in Pomona, California. So you, you, how long were you out for? Uh, maybe a long trip, a long, a while. Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, that's the only part I remember. I, I oh, only great. remember, you know, the doors opening and seeing the ceiling and going, Oh great. I'm in the hospital again. <laughs> and, and, and the thing that was funny about it is there was this nurse that was there that was really super cute and I was like at one point feeling better and, and trying to flirt a little bit. And I huh. remember looking over and seeing my reflection in this window. <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> I got the red lipstick on and the little bow tie and yeah. the hair. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm Pee Wee Herman. And they don't know I'm working on a movie. No,
0: they, they just think it's a
1: random dude. <laughs> just some weird freak that came in dressed like whatever i was you know wearing that little gray suit and then it happened again when i had to jump a bicycle on the same movie over a, a 17 foot high fence and they had to pull me in with a cable system
0: oh right yeah. and, and i went
1: 72 feet and we built all of these cardboard boxes a thousand two foot by two foot cardboard boxes as a catch pad, wow. and i overshot them all and hit three boxes and augered into the ground and in my head and again i was out and taken to the hospital for the second time dressed as Wee herman you wouldn't think
0: you'd be getting danger money for a picture like that but but very clearly it, it was right up there i mean every box ticked as far as that was concerned yeah. I suppose that's the thing though you you look at some of these bigger pictures you knew you, you maybe expect okay well this has got this in it and this has got a fire gag in it and this has got a big car turnover so you know they will take the stunt engineers will do all the engine the, the, the specifications they can all the safety bits and pieces and uh, you know, maybe in certain situations, you think in here, oh, it's it's falling off a bike. Okay, I can do this, and we're going to work bits and pieces out. But did, did it just get to the stage where it was it became much bigger as it went on, and and the propulsion took you further than anticipated? Was that the deal?
1: No, we we had rehearsed it the Friday before. Okay, we put up two poles in a string to simulate the height of the chain link fence. Okay. A, a special effects man named Bruce Robles was operating this winch system. It was a VW engine powered winch that would coil up the cable. Right. Yeah. It had handlebars like a motorcycle and a clutch. Uh, and, but he'd put it in gear and then let the clutch out. No speedometer, just a tachometer. Right. So he'd be like in second gear at 2,000 RPMs. This is how fast Corey's going. Okay. Visually, we didn't know. And we did like three or four jumps that Friday. The first jump, I barely made the boxes. Um, we picked up the speed and changed the angle of the ramp. And by the end of the day, I was, I was going flying, clearing the, the, the string at 17 feet and going right into the middle of the boxes. Everything was sweet. Okay. Of course, for that, I was wearing a helmet and hard plastic elbows and knee pads. And Because when you crash a bicycle into those boxes, it, it, somehow the bike still hits you. Yeah, exactly. So now the weekend passes. It's Monday afternoon. We get the same setup. I'm dressed like Pee Wee Herman at the end of this cable. Everything with Bruce Robles, thumbs up, everyone's good. And I see Paul Baxley, the stunt coordinator, walk up to Bruce Robles, who's about maybe 200 feet from me. He pats him on the back and points over the fence and turns to me and gives me a thumbs up. And I remember thinking to myself, what was that conversation about? (laughs) (laughs) What what little coaching did he just give Bruce Robles? Because we got this dialed in. We have it figured out from Friday. The second they called action and that thing took off, I'm like, oh, my God, this is much faster than what we had rehearsed. Wow. And on the back lot at Warner Brothers, these buildings are going by me and and be honest with you, if you were there, you you like everyone else would have seen the skid mark going up the jump ramp because I was on the brakes <laughs> of the <brakes> going <laughs> up, trying to <laughs> slow it down. Wow! And, just, and it flew. And as soon as I went over the top of that fence, I just went to chuck the bike to try to go down. But when you're still being pitched up, yeah, yeah. it's hard, hard to fight gravity to make yourself go down. Trying to get to those boxes, and like I said, I only only crushed three of them and, and then hit my head on the grass
0: only three of them so you'd you managed to hit three wow i wonder if he said send it you know that was yeah. the, that was the only advice he gave him pat him on the back and go for it wow well it's a good job you're here to tell the tale yeah. um it could have been much worse uh, um another picture that um that you worked on i've always been fascinated by this and and, and always um Um, uh, 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 as far as car gags are concerned anyway. You, of course, now, uh, everybody knows you have a reputation for these extraordinary car gags, but there was another guy, uh, and a good friend of yours, uh, Russell Solberg. Um, who was uh, responsible for, for one of the most remarkable car gags at the time in in, uh, uh, in the movie no man's land now, yes. I, I, I know that you were involved in this but were you involved in that sequence as he as he pipes through the uh, through the Pepsi wagon
1: oh, I was the stunt coordinator that was my very first film as a stunt coordinator oh i see with Charlie Sheen Charlie Sheen yeah and I came up with that gag Oh, and nice. I, okay. I pitched it. I pitched it to the producer Duncan Henderson, right? Uh, who just passed away, by the way. I, I just oh, really? Worked, yeah, I worked with him up in Canada on uh, Transformers Seven. Okay. And just recently, he passed away. But yeah, Russell. I, and the thing I felt for Russell Solberg about that stunt, because you know we were we were uh, jackknifing that forty that semi trailer, yep. Yeah. And then as it's coming toward him, he's going to come and hit a pipe ramp and go through it, yeah. The day that we were gonna do it, there were all these this cloud cover, and the clouds would come in front of the sun, and all of a sudden you got to change the F-stop on the camera because back then we we're shooting film mm-hmm. and Russell's all strapped in. And we okay, loosen them up, loosen them up, you know, let them breathe, you know, let them relax for a few minutes, and then the clouds would go by and then we okay, we're getting ready to go, get Russell strapped in. That happened at least four or five times. And it's just draining on you, your your adrenaline every time you get ready. At least for me, if I'm getting ready to do a stunt that, you know, you know, it's going to be a thump or, or something yeah. that could collapse and you could, you know, get a concussion or get killed. It's you, your adrenaline starts. Pump. Anytime you're going to compete or perform. Right. And That happened to him four or five times that day. And then finally, we're like, that's it. That's that's it. We're not going to do the stunt today. We have. And he was he was livid. He
0: yeah, was. Cause I guess he's he's ready to go, isn't he?
1: Yeah, Yeah. and he had another job he had to go on, so I think, I think we pushed the date or something happened. And anyway, it worked out that he was able to come back and do it, and did such a phenomenal job. And poor guy, he's big guy, you know, he's six four. Yeah, he can't get low inside that car all that much. But the worst thing you want is when you're doing a big pipe rent and getting a lot of air is to land on your driver's side. Yes. There's not much forgiveness. There's not a big crumple zone at the front of the vehicle. The best thing is if you could land on your ass end. That's like the best. You, you it absorbs all the the majority of the impact, and it, it, you're not thrown against your five point harness. You're thrown back in the seat. But the worst thing is to land on the pat on your driver's side, and that's exactly what he did. He 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 was so high in the air, he almost went over the semi truck. The ass end of his car went through it yeah and then bam on on his side thought, oh my god that's how you break your knees that's how you fracture your shin that's how you fracture your elbow that's how if you don't have the right helmet restraint you smack your head and get concussions but he he was he was fine but you don't hit much harder than that on a pipe ramp i'll tell you this is a tale of the supernatural the tapes a podcast of the uncanny
0: do you believe in ghosts? Join me, host, Christopher Goldie, and guests as we discuss the best in unsettling television and film. Who is this? Who is coming? Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for At The Tapes Pod, part of the Pod Dojo Network. It was just, I remember, um, I remember seeing, because it was the Stuntman Awards when I saw it the first time. I think it was 19, 19- 1986. the stunt awards Lee Majors was the host of the show I seem to remember and it won won a stunt award uh for best best vehicular stunt Uh, and and also over here there are a a number of uh, top performers Greg Powell is a great example um of a of a a stuntman who himself had done many many gags in vehicles over the years with pipes and cannons and all sorts um and he said this one was just sensational, and do you know what I think really sells it is the fact that it's a const- you you've blended the pipe into the scene so that it's a construction thing, and there's these pipes, obviously but they're presumably gas pipes or something pipes for for the, yeah. uh, that are going being worked on, and the pipe ramp is built into that, and he's just full 360 right through there. It's absolutely magnificent, and shot in just that slight bit of slow mo just to give it an extra. And then it Which bounces, it bounces back yeah. onto all fours again, you know, as the, as the Porsche yeah. drives off in front of it. <clears throat> well, well, you remember
1: that film well, yeah.
0: Oh, I, I think I'm, I must have seen that about 500 times, that clip, I really have. But that, that must give you such such great feeling as a coordinator to go, look, what that, look what we did, you know, that's just spectacular.
1: Yeah, because at the, at the beginning in the script, it was just um, basically a, a, a drive-by, just right. a change. Just to chase them, and they're like, "Well, maybe some cars can get in the way to slow them to get some separation from them." And I said, "Oh yeah, well, we could jackknife a semi truck and have a pipe rent through the side of it." And they all looked at me. We could do that. <laughs> we yeah do that. Yeah, cost money, you know. Hey, I want to share a a, a story with you real quick. If I may, oh, no. that same year, nineteen eighty five, mm-hmm. you mentioned was the year I doubled Sylvester Stallone on Cobra. On Cobra, yes, it was. Yeah, and and was. A, one of my favorite, favorite uh, car chases ever that I got to do. Well, now we fast forward 35 years, and I get hired to go to Oklahoma to work on a, a project called Tulsa King. W. That's about just Yeah, alone.
0: yeah, that's recently. I remember that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm there dressed like him, same shirt. They did my hair, gold chains, well, everything. I'm sitting in this vehicle that he's supposed to get in. Uh-huh. He's maybe 10 feet away from me. But he's talking to the director. But as he's talking to the director, he keeps looking over at me. Right? He's like, I know this guy from somewhere. And he's talking to the director and looking over at me. Finally, the director walks away and he looks at me. <laughs> and I look back at him. And we make eye contact and I go didn't you do a boxing movie like five years ago? Uh, He goes, oh, Corey, I knew that was you. How are you doing? And I got out and gave him a big hug. And he goes, you're still doing this. I go, oh, I'm still doing (laughs) this. I'm still doing it. (laughs) You're still doing (laughs) Um, it. I got a a photo taken with him in front of that car, which missing would have been Terry Leonard because he was the stunt coordinator on Cobra and we got a picture together standing in front of that Mercury. Yeah. Your, uh, your work
0: on, on Fast and Furious movies, I think now totals three, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, two Fast, Two Furious, the second one, Tokyo Drift and five. Um, without shadow of a doubt, that that prison bus gag is just unbelievable. I suppose to look at it on paper, you'd think, okay, this is pretty exciting. And I certainly know that... Um, from a UK perspective, um, we had a thing over here called Stuntman 86. Uh, I don't know whether you had them in the States, but we had a, like a competition thing which ran for many years. Six UK stunt performers would compete against each other doing varying stunts. Often, later on, it became the stunt double. So this guy would be doubling the character in this sequence, and then this this stunt double would then take over the story to this next gang. And one of them was... Um, a turnover of a coach a bus um uh, not as big as the one that you did but nevertheless these um dave bickers was the was the stunt engineer greg powell was driving and they got cammons i don't think they'd done one in that they'd done one the year before with a vehicle uh in the middle of the road fired it and it disappeared off into the trees and this was a coach on the back lot of a studio and when he hit the button and the thing went over to its side you go wow that's amazing now not that many years later looking at, at the, the stuff you're doing you're rolling this thing halfway down the road you know the most extraordinary thing to watch um i know that it was a very complicated shoot i also know that it didn't go terribly well first time round um but I, I i want to know your feelings about being in it hitting the button and you know being then the passenger because you've worked up everything up to that point you you can do no no more i suppose up to that point the stunt guys they they the engineers they've created the roll cage you're in a little safe housing you've got all the stuff on the adrenaline's pumping and then you get to that point and you hit the button and then everything takes over what ex- explain to 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 me and, and to, to people watching how on uh, what that feels like because there's no way of describing that, I wouldn't have thought. But give, give us a flavor of you know the, the enormity of this particular gag.
1: Here would be a, an analogy that maybe people can relate to okay, a doctor's going to give you a shot and comes in with this needle, but the needle is 10 times bigger than any needle you've ever seen, right. It's going to jab this needle in your arm. You know it's going to hurt, but you don't know to what magnitude. How, how much is it going to hurt? Right. That was how I felt. I felt like something's going to go wrong. We've rushed this process to, to build the cage, to get everything ready to put together. This has never been done before. They've never taken a bus like this and put three cannons that were seven foot long, 10-inch, ID, inside diameter, 10 inch cannon that weighed 385 pounds with 50,000 pounds of pressure in each cannon. That's 150,000 pounds of pressure that's never been fired on a vehicle simultaneously ever. The bus being a unibody uh, couldn't support those cannons. So they had to build a double decker frame out of steel that added 14,000 pounds to the weight of the vehicle. It tipped the scales at 42,000 pounds, it's 21 tons. No vehicle has ever been flipped over that weighs 21 tons. We made a decision to take the the steering wheel and everything, gas pedal brake and move it into the center aisle. Uh, That just made common sense. you know. Let's get away from the side and pull it back seven feet from the nose to build the pod that I Mm -hmm. sat in. I say, thank God that it didn't work properly the first time. Um, I think that I would have been crushed to death, I think, uh, because when that bus flipped over on the first one, only one cannon fired. Uh, So it went onto its rooftop and then it kind of flopped back on its side. But just that little rotation already dented my pod. The bus just was crushing in like it was, uh, you know, aluminum foil. It, It wasn't as strong as we thought the exterior of the bus would be. So when the decision was made to do this again, they had to repair the bus. I went to Matt Sweeney, the special effectsman, and I said, I have a request. I want to take another two hoops, put two more halos over the front of me, two more over the back of me of a two-inch 120 DOM tubing. I want to put four more. We added 1,700 feet of additional roll bar tubing. Now we moved on to the day. It was... Um, it, I, it was a real weird feeling um, almost like I was being uh, ignored by the crew like dead man walking nobody wants to look at you it was a real strange feeling um, it's the first time in my career ever that I went and got my life insurance policy and gave it to my oldest daughter oh, wow it 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 was one of those things w- when i I thought I left my hotel room that morning to go to set that I packed up all of my bags and and all my my clothing and cleaned out the bathroom and like but I'm like where am I supposed to be here for another night but why am I putting all my stuff because I thought I was gonna go to the hospital right you know or, or to the morgue i didn't I didn't want somebody coming in and picking up my dirty socks you know it was it was a real um it was a real uh, emotional thing for me. It also makes you think about your own self-worth. Mm. This is a freaking movie. I'm doing something that nobody knows if the roll cage is going to withstand that, that impact. It's a flip of a coin. It was nerve-wracking. And then I think because I am a, a fighter, you click into that mode. Once you get in the vehicle and get strapped in, I get very aggressive. Um, I almost get like an angry, uh, a, a approach of like, let's just go kick ass. Okay. And and I think that's to help, um, overcome the fear. Right. Um, at least that seems to work for me. And it, and it was, it was a lot. I mean, I wasn't just driving the bus down to a and hitting a, hitting a button. It, it was along the way I had to flick on two more cameras. We had interior cameras. I had to flick on, oh, okay. um, the, the, the we had a problem with the brake line that was leaking air pressure so i couldn't even get the air brakes to turn off uh we had 16 cameras on it i had one button once i oh after the first one after the first take when it only went and i smashed into the charger that paul walker was supposed to be in mm-hmm. justin lynn the director comes up to me and he goes you know Corey, we were looking at the footage and it hits so violently; it looks like it would have just killed Paul and would have done major damage to the Chargers. Can you just go over it? Maybe can yeah. you just this is that was the next point I was going to say because
0: in the footage and particularly in the behind the scenes footage of this thing, it just lifts like glides over the top of the thing and lands in front. It's
1: the most yeah. extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. But what was funny about it, I was like, that was the most ridiculous question he could ask me. Can you just <laughs> over the top? I said sure yeah, just yeah. It's just like a feather. It's just yeah. a forty-two pound feather. I'll just float right over the top of it. And I just walked away from him. And like I said, I get kind of angry when I'm nervous. And and it was I thought the most ridiculous, but on the approach, as I was coming in, I have to hit one button that locks up the rear tires to start to slide the vehicle, and I got another. The button I hit with my right foot. This is back of my accelerator to fire the cannons. And as I saw, I was gaining on that charger. I thought, "Wow! If I wait any longer, it's going to hit it. I better do it now." And I hit the button, and as it went, I went, "Oh, we went over it." <laughs> Knew I yeah. cleared it because I didn't feel oh, it, a tap or a hit. No, no, and then, just as just that bu- bus was rolling, I could hear the tubing uh, snapping. Everything and, falling and off it. The, the roll cage uh, busting. And right. my surroundings were getting like tighter, the sound was coming tighter. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's happening. This roll cage is collapsing. And I'm about to any second now, I'm gonna feel my, my head being pushed into my neck. And or it was a frightening because it rolled three and a half times. And I was going mm. I was going 60 miles per hour. And I remember having that conversation with, with a, a a few of the special effects men. I said, guys, you know about physics and stuff, and if we're taking 21 tons throwing it seven feet in the air at 60 miles an hour what's that impact going to be and everyone's like we don't know so so I'm like, how do we know that that roll cage is going yeah, to yeah. everyone's like we don't we don't know I was like, oh, the, amount so of,
0: the amount of wow. g-force that that would have created as well on your on your body alone but i mean obviously the the structure of the whole thing you can see everything moving and obviously you've just said yourself it's just coming in around you outside it looks like it's being, you know, disintegrating left, right, and center. Yeah. And inside you think, oh, he's got to be safer in there. But you can, you can feel it coming in around you. That's unbelievable.
1: And, and the other thing is this, a little piece of trivia about that stunt. Mm-hmm. There were three cannons, but only one fired on the first take and only two fired on the second take.
0: I saw the two. I, I saw two go, but I didn't. I, so you said then the third one didn't go at all.
1: When the vehicle come, when the bus comes to a rest, upside down, mm. right in front of the back tires, there's another. You could see the tip of the of the third cannon that never mm. fired. So I don't know what would have happened if the third cannon fired. Well,
0: you'd That's have been another. in you'd have been in Kansas, I imagine by by the yeah. time that thing went off. If if they all went off together, yeah, I'd um, still be rolling. Right, you'd now. still be going now, exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely extraordinary, and and rightly so. You know, you 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 want um, a Taurus World Stunt Award for that, um, uh, and uh, I imagine that the people in other countries are going, "What well, did you feel something that on the Richter scale? It was you, cannon rolling <laughs> this thing down the road." Um, and and again, if you've never if you've never handled, you've seen the movie Fast Five, all those people have seen the movie Fast Five. Please go and look at that clip. Um, there is a, a, a Corey Eubanks Fast Five, type that in and you will find there's behind the scenes footage of this just unbelievable moment when he arrives behind the camera vehicle. Camera vehicle goes on, slides, bang, and then you've just heard that's how it happened. Tell us about the fabulous car crash clinic thing that, that's now got to a stage where it's, it's become an animal, it's become a beast you've got people from all over the place uh, you did you have it originally in one location then you moved it to vegas is that how that happened tell us more about how this started and and uh, uh, and what you're doing it's from an educational perspective about uh, performers and understanding the car gags
1: yeah <clears throat> you know there there are quite a few car stunt driving schools mm-hmm. that I, I highly recommend because we all know that uh, repetition is the mother of all skill. You got to do it over and over and over. That's why basketball players are always shooting hoops. It's not that they don't know how; they're, they're trying to, you know, continually, you know, muscle memory and perfecting and mm-hmm. keeping sharp. Same thing with stunt driving. You got to constantly. But I realized, huh? There's no clinic. There's no school that teaches you what I have learned through trial and error. Um, what I've learned from some of the old timers, you know, from Dukes of Hazard and uh, the little tricks of the trade for safety, mm-hmm. uh, different ways to hit a pipe ramp that you can get different effects from a vehicle. Um, if you and I were going to climb into a Crown Vic and do a pipe ramp um, and you go and, hit, and we hit it at the same exact speed, I guarantee you, this is going to sound cocky, but I guarantee you mine would look better right. than yours. Because of the angle that I'm going to come in, the way I'm going to pitch the vehicle before I hit the pipe ramp, it's going to give it an extra little twist in the air. These are little secrets that a lot of people don't know. Right. And what I'm teaching at my car crashing clinic is the safety. And here's another thing. You could take just about anyone if, they are, if they're you know courageous enough and put the proper safety equipment on them from head to toe. From steel toe boots to the helmet to the three-layer fire suit, everything that I have a whole list of all the equipment that I use Mm -hmm. for vehicles that are going to catch on fire. And you could strap somebody in and you could have them go straight down the road and hit a pipe ramp. It's when that vehicle hits the ground and they're either stunned because it's shaking your brain inside your skull. Sometimes it knocks people out. Um, you're disoriented because you spun in the air and you don't even know what is up and what's down. Mm. The vehicle lands upside down. You've got gasoline dripping on the hot engine manifold, and now you've got a fire.
0: Right.
1: Fuel key's still on because they haven't turned it off because they didn't know to, and this fuel pump's still going. And now the whole, and that's burning, and next thing you know, the whole vehicle's on fire. And It's on fire, you're upside down, and now you've got to try to get out. And there's tubing everywhere because you've got a full roll cage in there. But- And you go to hit your five-point harness to get out, and you drop right on your head. You're in the fetal position upside down. You're in a nut, and you're panicking. Um, The chances of you getting out safely are, are, are slim. That's something that you need to practice. You need to learn how to do. So I have these cages, these cars that are fully caged, the same roll cages that I use for performing cannon rolls, pipe ramps, big jumps. And I take my students and I put them in these vehicles, strap them in with all the safety equipment and in different configurations on its side, on upside down, on its passenger side, you know, even on its wheels, there's a way, a technique that I have for me in, invented for myself, which is the quickest way to get out of a vehicle. If it's on fire or if, if you've gone off the road and down into a, a, a lake and you're sinking. So these these techniques, these, these, um, safety procedures that I have come up with. Um, some of them did not work through trial and error, uh, perfected. Um, I've got all of these here and I'm like, I'm in a point, as I mentioned to you, I'm 60 years old now and I'm starting to step back from doing these big high speed vehicular stunts. Um, I've stripped my brain enough for 41 years and it's time for the new generation of young stuntmen and stuntwomen to step forward. And I just want to pass on this knowledge. I am going to pass on these, these tricks of the trade that, that I have learned, that I have invented, that I have perfected, and pass it on to them to help them do these stunts safely. Because when you know, okay, I've got all my safety procedures are, are covered, it reduces your fear of performing the stunt, which allows you to focus on performing the stunt. Right. You know? and, and, it's, and it's funny. The, the, one of the things I also do teach and, or, or, or talk about, there's two things I can't teach, two things I can't do for you. You either have to have it or not. That's courage and timing. Right. The two things I can't teach them the courage and the timing. I go, I can help you be more courageous because I'm going to make you feel safer based on the stunt seat, the roll cage, all the safety equipment that I use Mm -hmm. and I'm passing on to them. And it's been a real joy for me. I I put on three clinics in in California and realized that the majority of my students were coming from the East coast. They were coming from New York. They were coming from Georgia, New Mexico, New Mexico uh louisiana what well, had i had a, I had a, a guy flying from australia oh, really? and, what? yeah he did yeah this guy named casey and i thought wow why don't i move it closer to everybody that so much work going in atlanta georgia in new mexico texas you know new york and i said like, well so i went and bought a place in texas so i could put on my car crashing clinic in texas which is more of a central place for everybody so that's okay. My next clinic uh, will be held in in a little town called Stephenville, Texas.
0: A, the the sleepy town of Stephenville, Texas, which will no longer be sleepy. I imagine once you uh-huh. once you've uh, no 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 those days of <laughs> sleepy nights and calm evenings are now over uh, yeah. in uh, Stephenville. Um, well, I just you know the, you, you've done you've done everything pretty much. Uh, you've done um, you know the you've done you act, you write. You're a stunt. Man, um, you're a producer. You you sing, you know. I've heard you sing as well, man. Are you? There? Is there anything that you don't do? Is there anything that you're yet to achieve, which is still on that bucket list of stuff?
1: You you know what? It, um, the the thing that I that you did not mention that I have done that I think I'm going. It, it's time for me to go back to because it's a passion of mine. Is is directing? Okay, I, I've directed twenty one one-hour television shows mm-hmm. yeah. as a first-unit director. Mm-hmm. I, I've done over 80 projects as a second-unit director for film and TV. Um, I've, I've written and directed two feature films. And back in the day when there was VHS, just straight the video, Yeah, yeah. most fun I've ever had, the most fun I've ever had is, is writing a script and going out and, and directing it. You know, when I did those two films with Russell Solberg that I, I wrote the screenplay and I played the lead because mm-hmm. uh, I was the cheapest actor that we could hire. Right. <laughs> and Russell is the cheapest director you could I hire. Um, we look back on those days and go, those are the funnest times we've ever had. And that's what life's about. You know, I want to I want to go back to having having fun doing doing that. And I, uh, so I think that's, you know, at this point in my career um i'm i'm going to continue with my car crashing clinics to pass on that knowledge i almost feel like it's wrong for me not to to why why did not you tell us about this safety stuff yeah 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 no Ooh. i see that i mean and it makes perfect sense for you to be doing that because
0: you've 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 although you've been doing lots of other stuff you know you've been riding horses you've been doing this you've been doing falls you've been doing fire jobs fights you name it you've done it all but Predominantly, people will remember you from that type of work that you've been involved in cars. So, who better to to create a clinic and pass that on than than you? And who better to to direct, you know, come up with new ideas for, for, for pictures that that won't involve you having to, you know, have the headache for the next three weeks after yeah. this particular car wreck or etc.
1: Yeah, I, I just tell you real quick. I did a. This is when it came to my mind. I said, I got to stop doing this. I did a, a cannon roll on a show called You Better Call Saul.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember that show.
1: I flipped over. I cannon rolled a Bronco right. in, in New Mexico. And it was for Al Goto who was the stunt coordinator. And I, I'm like, how fast do you want me to He goes, well, we need like three or four rolls. And I said, um, all right, so you want me to come in high? He goes, yeah. So it was one of those things out in the desert on this desert road where really did, I'm like, I'm not going to hit anything. It doesn't, you know. I came in fast. I, I don't know how fast it felt, like around 70, maybe 75. And pitched this vehicle and it hit and it rolled eight and a half times. Oh, wow. When I got out, I was a little dizzy. Yeah. But the next morning when I woke up, I had like a letterbox of blurriness in front of me. If I looked up, it everything was sharp and clear. If I looked down, everything was sharp and clear. But if I looked you in the face, if I looked at anybody in the eye, it was blurry. Wow. And I don't know what damage I did to my retinas or or my brain. And, and that lasted for about two days. And that's when I thought, I can't be... God, God stop doing this.
0: What's that phrase? I'm too old for this shit. I yeah. can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I <laughs> yeah, it's going to have to happen there. So uh, you, you've, you've probably made the right decision, I think, under under the circumstances. Uh, and I think it's also fair to say that you know, in the US, um, a- as a country, and with a, with a, with a group of stunt performers through history, you've got you know the most amazing list of stunt professionals. You know, you've got Alan Gibbs uh, jumping the Trans Am and smoking the Bandit, Bill Hickman driving through traffic in French Connection, um, Terry Leonard getting dragged under that. Truck in in Raiders, uh, uh, Gary mcclarty doing the first ever cannon roll, and all of that stuff, and and your contribution to action cinema is absolutely in that same group. There's no two ways about that. I think it's uh, very safe you. to say that that you earned your place in that group. And uh, for me, it's been an absolute pleasure to to speak to you today, Corin. I thank you so much for your time. Uh,
1: I am so flattered and, and and honored, and thank you too. I really appreciate it.